Well, good morning. Am I on? There we go. We also have two sons here, Ari, Judah, and Yoel. So we are a family of six, not including the dogs. Eight if you include them. I will just say a couple things real quick. Like he said, we were children's pastors for two and a half years. Let me tell you something. You're not taking the lesser portion by helping the kids. It's actually the greater portion. A lot of us get selfish. Well, I don't want to miss church. You aren't missing anything if you'll go in there and help them because what you're doing is building up the next generation. That's what we're called to do. Now, about three months ago, something happened in the United States of America. We have some friends in our lives. Actually, we leave from here to go be with them who for almost a decade prophesied about a move of God coming to Kentucky that would change the shape of this nation. So the moment that began to pour out in Asbury, which we're only about, we live only about two hours from Asbury, he lived down in Pensacola, Florida, they left, they drove the 12 hours and went there and didn't leave the entire time. He had over 7 million views as he began to document it. People didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. He wasn't piggybacking off anything. He wasn't trying to take away anything from what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was simply documenting, and he knew this is what God showed me in 2014, and I'm not dare going to miss it. And so we went down there on February 14th, and, and, and I mean, it was just raw God. It was powerful. Uh, and, and you go in there, and it's just like even lower still. God, can I go lower? Can I get lower, God? Is there any way that I can get lower? You see, you never know what God's doing in a person's life. You know, he just read the scripture, judge not, for ye shall be judged. But a lot of us do that. Well, you know, they don't really participate in worship. They're a little bit different. You know, they're not exuberant. They don't do this. They don't do that. That's me. But you have no idea what's going on during worship in my mind. No idea what God is doing. Because when the Spirit of God begins to move... I don't, I don't go crazy. I actually want to curl up and crawl underneath a pew somewhere and, and just crawl on daddy's lap and go to sleep. I remember Lou Engel came with the call to Cincinnati. And we walked in there, and I walked into the, the, the stadium, and I mean, they had been going for five minutes, and the glory of God was in that place. And this guy turned around, this usher turned around, and he was swinging from the chandeliers. Never met him a day of my life. He opens up his arms, gives me the biggest hug he's ever given, like we are long-lost brothers. And I'm sitting there like, can I, can I get underneath the seats anywhere? But he's, and so you never know what God's doing in somebody's life. You never know how he's working. You never know what he's saying. And so you just got to let God do what God's got to do in somebody's life. Let the Holy Spirit do their work. And, and I want to share today one of my favorite Bible stories and uh, it's in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. And, and I really love this story because there's just a lot of interesting things going on. The story of Balaam is probably a little bit more favorite of mine. I could teach on that for weeks on end because there's so many hidden things in there in the Hebrew that people don't see. It's actually the first place in the Word of God where you, the Jews and the Christians do not deny that there's a messianic prophecy going forth. It's the first place that Jews and Christians both declare this is a messianic prophecy and he's not even a Jew. He's a heathen who practiced divination. So it's just a fascinating story. But that's not what we're going to talk about. 
we're going to look at Elisha and the Shumanite woman. You know what's really interesting about this is we don't ever know her name. The Bible never tells us what her name is. And there might be somebody in this building today that this is how you feel. You don't feel like God knows your name. You don't feel like he really has numbered the hairs of of your head, and some of us is that's easier than others. And you feel maybe disconnected from what the Father is doing on the earth today. I'm telling you right now, by the time you leave here, you cannot leave here and say that I can be disconnected because God's not wooing me. He's wooing you. He's calling you. I'm going to tell you that today, the last defeat you faced will be the last defeat you have. It is normal to be challenged. It is unscriptural to be defeated. And a lot of people walk around defeated, but I'm going to show you in the Word of God in this story right here, and we're going to connect some dots, how you can live in victory every day of your life. If I were you, I would get excited because this is the greatest hour that has ever happened. We are living in the time where Jesus could come at any moment. The next prophetic uh, event on the biblical time clock is the rapture of the church. It could happen at any moment. I asked a man of God who, who knows a lot more than me, I said, Gary, is there anything in the Word of God that still hasn't come to transpire for Jesus to return? And he started naming things, and I said, wait, let me, let me back that up. Is there anything that couldn't happen in the twinkle of an eye, boom, like that, and Jesus be here? He said, no, there's absolutely nothing. And so we're living in a time where we have to go after things, we have to go after souls, and we're living in a time of divine advancement. It's not going to come slow. It's going to come fast. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to come fast. It's going to come. But you may be here today, and maybe your relationship is just a little off, like like Julie just mentioned. And you, you feel like this woman who, does God even really know what I'm going through? Is he even there? Maybe you've asked yourself those questions recently. Well, let's look at this. In verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. First thing we see here is this woman recognized the presence of God. She recognized that, that he had something she did not have. And so she sowed a seed. She put a seed forth and said, I'm going every time he comes in, I'm going to give him something to eat. And she's going to, just like he said, give and it shall be given unto you. I've always said it this way. I know a lot of people say, how many of you know we don't give to get? Well, unfortunately, it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach if you give, you will get. But again, not our motivation. And so here she is giving this. She's she's giving this food to him. You see, once you get a taste of the presence of God, nothing else will satisfy. There's a restaurant in our city called Skyline. Now, if you're not from the Cincinnati area, you're probably going to hate it. But a few do like it. And every time I'm driving down the road and I see the sign for Skyline... I don't care if I ate five minutes ago, I want to pull in there and eat again. 
It's like there's this pull. My car starts to swerve over a little bit. And this is how many of us are. We know what God can do. We've seen what he can do. We've experienced what he can do. And all those are signs, and we're happy with that. But I'm not happy with a sign. Because once I do pull in the driveway, and I do park, and I go inside, I can sit there and say, man, it's a beautiful sign. They really did a good job with the logo. You know, it's, it's really inviting. And just sit in the car talking about the sign, and then get up and leave, and never be a partaker of what's inside and there's a lot of people who come into church Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, whatever day it is, and you come in and it's just to kind of make you feel good, the get out of hell free card, and you never partake of what is being fed in the house of God to you. But the moment I go in there and I taste of that, the sign no longer will ever satisfy me. Never will satisfy me because I've tasted of something better. Once you get a taste of the presence of God, nothing else will satisfy. So much so that it'll make you make a decision. You see, when I was in Asbury and the presence of God was so strong there, when that begins to happen, it makes a novice out of you. Makes you a rookie. You have no idea when God begins to move. Until you have been completely overwhelmed by the presence of God to the point that you don't know what else to do, then you've never truly been in a move of God. This has happened. It didn't. Two weeks didn't come and go, and the revival ended. No, it didn't end. It got launched around the world. That guy who began to do it, he talked for 14 years, Kentucky, 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 went to every county in Kentucky. All of a sudden it happens and God says, boom, international. And then he found himself in Japan. He's going to, to Nicaragua. He's going to Canada. He's got all these places he's going because God just began to launch him into what happened. It, it did not end there. God is moving in might around the world. Why not here? Why not now? And so she makes a decision. She decides, she says to her husband in verse 9, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls. Put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Are you making room for more? Or are you making plans to go back to your old life? See, in today's mentality, this would have been about a $50,000 seed to put an addition onto the house. How much is the presence of God worth? I'm not, not necessarily talking about money. I'm talking about giving forth out of what she has. She was wealthy, so to put $50,000 down wasn't a big deal. Because he even asked her later, you oh man, I, I, I have no problems with money. What seeds are you sowing right now there's so many seeds that'll produce a harvest in your life. What seeds are you sowing? One seed is money. Another seed is this right here is the word of God. If you think five minutes, if you start there today because you haven't doing any minutes, five minutes is okay. But if a year from now you're still on five minutes, there's a problem. Five minutes in that is not enough. The Bible has to become your brains. When you don't know what to do, the Word of God tells you what to do, tells you how to do it. 
And if you value the voice of God over the word of God, it will lead you into deception. Because the word of God and the spirit of God always agree. Always agree. And so she takes and she makes this for him. And so now he has a resting place. She puts seed in the ground. And here it is, is a place of harvest for her. She now has a place that she can go to that will be a place of harvest for her. But most of us are waiting until the ball drops before we put the seeds in the ground and then we're behind when the trials and the challenges begin to come. I used to live that way. It was terrible. Then I began to realize I need to get seed in the ground while times are good. And so now the devil comes knocking and he does. He comes with anxiety, he comes with stress, he comes with all these emotional instabilities. How do I know? Because peace leaves. And I sit there and say, wait a minute, devil, I got seed in the ground, you're not going to do this to me. And he tries to leave and I say, wait a minute, let me, let me show you something. And I grab him by and I take him out to my harvest field. And I said, you see that devil over there? That's a harvest of joy. You see that over there? That's a harvest of peace. You see that over there? That's financial harvest. Don't you dare come knocking at my door and think you're going to get away with anything. You have authority. Adam stood there while Eve took it, and he had all authority, and he did nothing. You want the devil to run rush out all over you? Do nothing. The only thing you need to do to go to hell is to do nothing. But he's given us authority. Look, it's going to get bad for the world. It's going to get ugly. The Bible says it is. But it will not be so for the child of God. So you might as well get all the way in. Because he's given us victory over that. Just like he's been saying, I'm not on this earth's economy. I don't care how bad things get. I can go to scripture after scripture to prove that to you. And so here she is, making room in her life, making things a little bit inconvenient for herself. Now i got somebody else in my house. A lot of times we're sitting there and we just want to be comfortable. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit's called a comforter. You want to know why? Because life is uncomfortable. And so if you think everything's just going to be perfect, I'm sorry. If God really begins to move at the full might of his power, your life is going to be disrupted. The things you used to do are going to change. The pattern of your life is going to change. It's inevitable. Verse 11. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber, he being Elisha, and he rested there and he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shumanite woman. Again, he call the Shumanite. He doesn't even, <laughs> no name. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said, to, or she, he said to him, Say to her now, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it, what is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, and she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son, 
And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son, and about the time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. So she had seed in the ground, and a desire of her heart was finally fulfilled. Something she had longed for for so long, God finally came through. And, and she, had, she had longed for it for so long that when the prophetic word came to her, she thought it was a lie. She had been disappointed so many times. I've been in services dealing with people, and I sit there, and I go to pray for them, and I think it isn't going to do me any good because I'd be laying live hands on a deadhead who's completely 100% discouraged, and they have a lack of faith in them. You see, when it comes to healing, this is how Kenneth Hagin used to say it. He said, I've prayed for thousands of people through a word of knowledge. He said, of those thousands of people I've prayed for, only one did not get healed. And then he said this, he said, I've laid hands on hundreds of thousands of people for healing, and lots of them didn't get healed. He said, the conclusion is, when it comes to a word of knowledge, it's based on my faith, but when you come up for healing, it's based on your faith. And a lot of people, they're so discouraged, they have no faith. This is why there's got to be the preaching of the word, because the word of God goes forth, and it builds faith. Yes, I am a faith preacher. I get a lot of comments about it, but I'm telling you, you can't live this life without faith. So I don't care what you've came in here with. I don't care if you're discouraged, depressed. Today it ends. No born-again, blood-bought child of God should ever have to deal with emotional instability. Ever. I can't understand preaching. Well, we're just going to counsel. No, we don't need counsel. We need the Word of God to go forth, the Spirit of God to touch people. I'm not interested in just doing a little good meeting or anything. I'm interested in results in people's lives. I'm interested in changed lives. I don't come to pry on emotions. I'm not a hype man. I watch other people. I think, man, I wish I could do that. But you know what? If all I do is get an emotional response out of you, that doesn't guarantee change. But if the presence of God can come in and touch you, then change can really begin to transpire. So what's the harvest you need? She put seed in the ground. She built this addition. She had this harvest field. And now all of a sudden, she's getting a baby. She's cried out for this son. So much so, she never thought it would happen. And all of a sudden, God said, now is the time. Don't get discouraged in well-doing. Don't get down on yourself. Well, I know God told me this was going to happen. You know, I have people come to me and they say, you know, God told me this was going to happen. I said, well, what are you doing to make it come to pass? Because the Bible is an action-oriented word. It's not a sit around and just think God's going to drop things in your lap. That happens from time to time. God is sovereign, but he rarely works by his sovereignty. He partners with us. He told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you everything you see from here to here. And then he didn't just say, that's it. No, he said, now get up and walk the land. Do something. Do something. And so here she is, finally receiving back from the seed she planted. And then wouldn't you know something else happens? Verse 18, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. 
And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Here is the promise, the harvest that she had gotten from God, and now all of a sudden it's dead. What's crazy about this is that I don't know, but as a father, I wouldn't just say, hey, take him. I would be in there. But it was her promise. It was her harvest, not this father's harvest. It was her harvest. And a lot of us, this is the way we view God. He's a disconnected father. You see, if we produce a Jesus culture apart from the heart of the Father, then all we produce is spiritual orphans. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. In other words, he's the way, the Father's the destination. Jesus died on the cross so that you could go be with his daddy. And here he is. This is not the God we have, not the father we have. We have a father who so loved you that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you, that the father is for you, that the blood of Jesus is for you, the Holy Spirit is for you, and the things you're going through, all the trials and tribulations, get them under the blood. What happens here is she takes this child and she puts them, puts this child where she planted the seed. Where you plant the seed is where your harvest is. She puts him in the place of the harvest. A lot of us have trials, but we have no harvest field to go take our trials to. So we're playing from behind like I just said earlier. And then we got to wait for the harvest field to come up before we can then put our trial in there, our challenge in there. And then by that point, it may have become something that is now attached and become a part of our life because we're so far behind. You cannot let temporary setbacks become lifelong struggles. But this wasn't enough. She had a harvest field. But guess what? Who wasn't there? The Lord of the harvest wasn't there. You can't just put it there and think everything's now going to work out. No, she had to do something. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth harvesters. So she had to do something. Here she is struggling with this. My son who was promised, and I told him not to lie to me. I told him not to do this, but here it is dead, and I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to take it in here. But now I'm going to saddle up, and I'm going to go get the harvester. Then she called her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why do you go to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, all is well or shalom or peace. Here she is in the trial of her life. And she says, peace. You see, when you're going through something, if you don't have peace, peace is supernatural. I tell people every time we do a tent crusade, I tell them, look, if you didn't get peace when you got saved, then I have to doubt your salvation because the Bible says that peace comes with believing. And when I believe there's something supernatural that happens, that it doesn't make any sense, 
I shouldn't have any peace. My mom might have just died. My kid may have passed away. It could be anything. Trials just bombarding you. But there's something supernatural about the peace of God and joy. And what happens is, is people try to talk you out of it. They come to you and they begin to ridicule you. I can't believe you've got joy when everything is happening to you. I can't believe this is going on and you're walking around with joy. Don't lose your joy because if you lose your joy, you've lost your strength. But one day what's going to happen is you're going to see the other side of this and you're going to come out victorious. And guess what? Those people who were ridiculing you, who were putting you down, they're going to come knocking at the door and say, I don't know what you did. I know I made fun of you. I'm sorry, but please tell me, how do I get through this? And you better be ready in season and out of season. And so she's going to get the man of God. What's really interesting, I'm just going to throw this out here for free. Neither new moon or Sabbath. In other words, this is when they had church. They would have church every new moon and every week on the Sabbath. Not church probably like us because, you know, anyway. But that's why it says that. So then she saddled the donkey. She said to the servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. In other words, I'm telling you. (laughs) I could tell a story right now. It's like this is what her prayer life became. All of a sudden, she became an intercessor, so to speak. It's like when I asked my wife to get directions for us one time when we were going somewhere. And I found out I was in the wrong city. I was a little bit upset. I've grown a little bit since then, just a little. And an hour drive to get back into the right city took me about a half an hour. It's that other kingdom thing. I wasn't sure about it. I, was, I, I didn't name him when you said we couldn't speak. No, I'm sure. <laughs> but that day, my wife became an intercessor. <laughs> but here she is, hastily, don't hesitate. Go, go, go. Listen, if I could tell younger me, there's only one thing I would tell younger me. I don't live in regret. I have no regrets. I would say when God speaks, do it faster. Yeah. Don't hesitate. Sorry, I get a little excited. (laughs) So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi the servant, look, there's the Shumanite. Run to her at once and say to her, is it all well with you? In other words, is peace with you? Is all well with your husband? Is peace with your child? Is all well with with your uh, husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, peace, all is well. What's interesting here through this whole thing is she never talks about her struggle. That's what most of us do. Trial comes along. Somebody comes up, hey, how you doing? Well, you know, I was doing really good, but now my sciatica is acting up, and, you know, this is happening, and that's happening. A lot of times I want to say this. I don't. I say it good. Just keep talking like that. You'll be dead by next Tuesday. Your words will lead you to your destination. Look, faith doesn't ever deny reality, but that does deny reality influence in my life. So I had a young guy come up one time, and I could see the discouragement all on his face. He had diabetes, and he was asking for healing, and I said, you're, dis- you're discouraged. He said, yeah, I am. I said, well, there's really no sense in me praying for you right now unless you're going to get rid of that discouragement because then you're just going to be more discouraged. And I said, here's what you need to do. 
I said, you walk around and you tell people you have diabetes. I said, first of all, you need to stop doing that. Second of all, you need to line yourself up with the Word of God that says, I cannot have diabetes. Now, what I didn't say was to deny that he had diabetes. I said to declare that he cannot have it. Why? Because the Word of God says he can't have it. He didn't just take your sin on the cross. He took your pain and your sickness. I don't care what the doctor tells you. I don't care what science tells you. I don't care what, the, what your body tells you. The word of God says he bore all sickness, all disease. And so it's not on you. It's on him. And the sooner you get that revelation, the sooner you'll be healed. And when she came to the mountain, the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. When was the last time? Just like the man who went running and grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar. Just like Jacob who grabbed a hold and said, don't, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. When was the last time? You might be like Bartimaeus who they're telling, shut up, shut up, shut up. And he cried out all the louder. When was the last time? Like Bartimaeus, you got Jesus to stop in his tracks and turn and look at you and say, what do you want? You can pray for your needs all you want, but the Bible already tells you he'll supply those if you're living for him. What do you want? And these aren't selfish questions. You see, when I pray, I pray to the Father, but I pray according to this word of God. And when I pray according to the word of God, when I say in Jesus' name, that's why I know it can come to pass. Because it's not me. You think for one iota this is the life I would have chose for me 20 years ago? If God would have showed me this, I'd have said, nope, going a different way. But once you get here, there's no better place to be. And she grabs a hold of him. And Elisha says, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And Jehovah has hidden it from me, and he has not told me. And she said, did I not ask my Lord for a, or did I ask my Lord for a son? And did I not say, do not deceive me? Well, she might not have asked him for a son, but she had been asking God. Otherwise, why would he have given it to her? And here she is, in bitter distress, doesn't know what else to do. Sometimes we have to be like Jehoshaphat and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Sometimes we need to get our focus correct. A lot of people don't understand this. But a lot of times when you're not looking the right direction, God will use something to get you to turn. And when you turn, what he then speaks to you might not be what he used to get you to turn. Does that make sense? In other words, Abraham, go sacrifice your child. It was never about the sacrifice. It was never about that. How do I know that? Because the Bible says God would never ask you to sacrifice your own children. It was about getting his focus redirected. So when he got there, in pure obedience, both of them, because his son was a teenager most likely, and when he's about to do it, and the angel shows up and says, no, most of us would have been like, nope, when I wasn't looking the right way, God told me this, so I'm going to go ahead and go through with it. But now that you're looking the right way, things begin to change. And all of a sudden, he sees a ram caught by its head and thorns. And God takes him 2,000 plus years into the future and shows him Jesus Christ. Whew. 
to where Jesus can say, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. So he says to Gehazi, tie up your garment. Take the staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. Lay the staff on the child, or on the face of the child. And then the mother of the child said, as, as Jehovah lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. And Gehazi went ahead and he laid the staff on the face of the child. And there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet them and said, the child has not awakened. What's really interesting here is what we know is Gehazi had secret sin. We read about it in just a little bit. I'm not going to get there. But if you keep reading, a lot of times this is what people do. They stop reading somewhere in the Word of God. Get to Revelation, realize we win. You were born to win. And so there's no results. Let me say this. Never gauge a person based on what they say. Watch their character. Because you can push out the word of God in front of you, and it's anointed all in and of itself, and it can perform results. But what that doesn't tell you is anything about the person pushing the word out of God. It tells you a whole lot about a greater reality than that person. That's why you never look to a man. I know that there's a lot of people who say this is a nameless, faceless generation. I have a face. You have a face. We all have names. I don't really understand it. I understand what they're trying to say, but anyway, I'll get off that. Um, but watch their character. See what kind of fruit they have. You go read. That's how you know the fruit that's in their life. Go look at what their kids are like. That's a huge sign. There was a guy in a church in adultery. Church was growing by leaps and bounds. He'd get up Sunday morning and preach the word of God. But I'm telling you, your sin will find you out. And his sin found him out. And you know what the, the, the denomination did? Removed him from the church, but wouldn't remove his credentials and just send him somewhere else. You know what that church is now today? You know who the pastor is? Cleddy Keith at Heritage Fellowship. So God brought something better. So Gehazi couldn't do it because he had secret sin. So when he went in, being Elisha, and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to Jehovah, then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again, and he walked back and forth in the house, and he went up, stretched himself upon him again, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. I've heard it so many times. As you preach the word of God, people will say, well, I've tried that before. How many times did Elijah have to pray before the rain cloud showed up? Seven times. What you gain by intercession, you keep by intercession. You have to keep going for it. And Gehazi, then he summoned Gehazi, called the Shumanite, and he called her, and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, then picked up her son and went out. I don't know what you came in here today carrying, what kind of baggage you have, what kind of struggle that you're going through. But there's nothing Nothing, nothing that you're carrying 
that God hasn't already overcome through the death and the blood and the resurrection of his son. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I have to do something. Now, this is not something physical. There's somebody in this room that you're a snake. You slither in here, and you slither out, and you put on a good show, but you're not fooling the Holy Spirit. And today, you have a chance to get this under the blood and get rid of it. But if you don't, God is telling you that he's going to come and remove your lamp. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never publicly done it, and you know that you're not living right, and there's no way that you can walk in victory because of the life that you're currently living. And you say, today, I've got to get things right with God. This call is for you. You may be here, and you, you've, you've gone through the motions. Maybe at one point in your life, you were on fire for God, but today it's just a, I'll come on Sunday. I'll, I'll put in the, a little bit of time, but you're truly not sold out to him. And today you say, I want to be completely sold out because I want to be on fire when everything begins to go down. Or you might be here this morning and you've said yes to Jesus. That's not even in doubt, but every night you go to bed and the devil lies in your ear and he says, you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. And you want to silence him once and for all and leave here that you know, that you know, that you know you're on your way to heaven. If you fit in any of those, I want you to raise your hand right now. I'm giving you a chance if you're that snake and I don't know who it is to do this between you and God. But I wouldn't play games in today's day and age. If that's you, and you fit into any of those categories that I mentioned, and you raised your hand, I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet. I saw at least one hand go up. That doesn't mean that they're the snake. <laughs> Is there anybody else that would join her? say, preacher, I want to leave here today and know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm on my way to heaven. If you're even questioning it, let's get it dealt with today. I want you to stand to your feet. Can you come up here? I want to pray with you and for you. Is there anybody else? See, if you mean business with God, God means business with you. And everything that you have dealt with, everything that you came in here with, you're not leaving here with it. He's going to wash you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I want you to repeat it after me, one size fits all. And if you really mean this from the depths of your heart, at the end of this prayer, you will be saved. Say, Father God, I come to you 
in the precious name of Jesus. I'm sorry that I've gone my own way, that I've done my own thing, but today I'm coming home. Jesus, I believe you you died on the cross and you rose for me. I believe that your blood cleanses me from all sin right now in Jesus' name. Come live in my heart. I will serve you all the rest of my days in Jesus' name. Now, Father God, right now, I pray that you seal this in her heart. Fill her with your spirit from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Every lie that the devil has told you that you're not worthy, that you're not worth it, that you shouldn't even be here, I break that right now in Jesus' name. The blood of Jesus makes you worthy. You are worthy. You are wanted. The Father is for you. The Holy Spirit is for you. And the blood of Jesus is for you. You are now free in Jesus' name. Father God, a thousand years from now, we will be dancing on the streets of God.